And I have a question for you all. How many of you are dressing up tomorrow? <laughs> good, good. I love that, Pam. Here I am thinking, I've got to be relevant, and I say something like that. Yeah, you're, I saw your costume. That's fantastic. You guys should get on Facebook and see, see Julie's costume. Um, I'm dressed up as a pastor today. Most Sundays I am. Um, I remember when, when, we, uh, when we arrived here, somebody mentioned this TV series, Lost. And somehow my wife and I got hooked on it. And the very last episode, we actually had a, a dress-up party. And some of you who came are in the room. And you had to dress up as your favorite character. I actually took moss, right? Dried moss and hot glued it to my beard. Right? That's the, that's the kind of dedication this party took. And it was great. We had our car carrier because there's a scene in one of the episodes where one of the main characters dies. And so we took our car carrier and put it on our table. And that was the coffin. And we had a dummy head for, for uh, CPR, and we put that into some clothes. It looked just like the character. And then we put all the food around it. It was a bit weird. And, uh, and then we strung all these paper mache things that looked like vines. I mean, we really got into it. Some people get overly into this kind of stuff. And, uh, but here was the fun part about it. When people arrived, what do you think was asked of them? Who are you? Who are you? They still don't believe that I was who I was. And uh, I, I was, for those of you who follow Lost, I was Frank Lupitas, the hairiest man on TV. All right, he was an airline pilot. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it was good times. It was not good times trying to remove all that. Um, but we had a good time. So it's kind of fun, right? Our, our society is a little obsessed this time of year in dressing up and having this whole thing of, oh, who are you? Do you know that we, we're going to do that today spiritually? We're going to do that spiritually. We're doing our second part, our, our, our final thing on the Trinity. And we're in our Essentials series, and we can go ahead and throw that up at this point um, on the screens. And as we move through the Essentials of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, we really want to help each of us understand what are the Essentials in that relationship. Well, we believe that one of the essentials is the idea and the doctrine of the Trinity. That if we don't truly have a good understanding of who God is and how God operates and, and how God shares Himself uh, in, in the universe, then we're unfamiliar with the very God that we name as our Savior, aren't we? Not only that, it gets a little complicated, doesn't it? So we're going to have a little test, a little interactive test at the end of the sermon today. And I'm going to give you some lab work and I'm going to ask you certain scenarios. And you have to, de you have to decide and, and state, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. Alright? We're going to have some fun with that. And then, and then we'll wrap up. But let's start with this passage this morning. You already heard me read from it this morning. And we'll get into the whole section, verses 15 through... Um, 23 out of Ephesians 1 a little bit later on, but I want you to see what is listed here. I did the same last week out of the book of Romans. Part of the challenge that we have with the Trinity is God describes Himself as what? One. 
I am one. I am the Lord your God. I am one. Right? There are no other gods. That's how He revealed Himself. And yet, we see that Jesus states that He has the divine authority as God. We saw that last week in Mark 14. We see that the Holy Spirit has the divine attributes of God. You know, that's kind of what makes God God. Is His attributes. There are communicable attributes that you and I share. Love, you know, on and on, right? That we get those from God. That's kind of that divine spark. There are the incommunicable that are specific and select to being divine. And we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. His ability for creation. Omnipotence. Omniscience. All of those those omnis that that, uh, some of us are familiar with. That's what makes God God. And so if the Holy Spirit is in each of us, as we'll see here in a minute in, in Ephesians 1, guess what? When we all leave this room, we're going separate places, hopefully. Yet the Holy Spirit is in each of us. And when you speak about the Holy Spirit, it's always seen in terms of singular. He's not plural. He's not dividing Himself. He is within you. That's magnificent. That's hard to understand, isn't it? It doesn't equate. And we talked out of Romans chapter 11 last week that we have this challenge, we have this difficulty of of saying we just don't get it. And this is where the hiccup is. This is where the hurdle is effectively for most of us. Because, and, and here's the rational thought, right? Because I don't understand it, therefore, the syllogism is, therefore, it's not understandable. Therefore, it doesn't exist. That's rational thought. And, and I subscribe to that to a degree. Because you know, most things, until you understand them or get a glimpse of them, are unfamiliar to, to you, aren't they? They're hard to believe in. And we talked about the issue of dark matter. That there are scientists that have won the Nobel Peace Prize or, or other prizes because of their discovery of dark matter. And yet if you ask any scientist, can you scientifically or empirically prove dark matter, they can't do it. They see dark matter as an existence of something as a result of all these other compounding issues pointing to something that they believe has to exist, but they cannot show it. So I would say that that rational thought and rationalism has its place and it exists, and boy, we better get that as the church. But I would also say that when it comes to the Trinity, we have a hiccup. I really appreciated what somebody said to me last week, that if God is so easily understood in His entirety, He's no longer God. Do we understand that? And that's what Romans 11 talks about. Who has ever counseled God that God should give back to Him? Who has known the mind of the Lord? So we have a God that is infinite. And it's the finite trying to understand the infinite. So look at this passage out of Ephesians 1, 15-17. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Do you see all three components of the Godhead listed? Yeah, Paul's describing to it. So either Paul's a liar and doesn't know what he's talking about, which could be, could be the case. I've not met him personally. But it certainly seems to me a guy who had it all going on and then all of a sudden his life radically changes to the point where 
It's going to cost him his life, and he's going to get beaten. He's going to get boiled in oil. He's going to be stoned. He's going to, and on and on it goes, and, and eventually he's going to be martyred. I don't think he's going to give up on that and all that he had if he didn't really experience God. Does that make sense? So here you have the person that has really truly experienced God change his life radically to the point where he's suffering over and over and over and over. And what does he say? He says, all three are involved here. All three are involved here. So let's break this down. Let's look at it. Let's move through some concepts this morning. We're talking about guess who, right? So if God shows up in your life later on today, who is it? Different circumstances, different moments. Right now as you're hearing the Word of God, who is at work? Which part of the Godhead is at work? Well, authority is where we're picking up. So if you have the sermon notes, you'll see a lot of other things we're, we're halfway down under authority. Divine authority is the hallmark of being God. In order to have authority over all things, that has to be granted with the understanding of how logic works from the premise that God is over all things, well, therefore, if anybody else says they're over all things, they equate themselves with whom? With God. Okay? So let's, let's look at some simple ideas here. Who has the authority to declare morality? Well, we, we have to go no further than the Ten Commandments. And, and which part of the Godhead was this in Exodus 20 that is declaring I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me, thou shalt not. And then he says over and over throughout this moral instruction, I am the Lord your God. Which, which part of the Godhead do you think this is? The Father, nicely done. You're doing well so far, so far you have an A. Who has the authority over the souls of men? Well, let's look at this scripture, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 15-23, and Philippians 2, 9-11. Let's... Hopefully you're there in Ephesians still. We got to it pretty quickly. And you say stop when you hear something that resonates with this point. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or in the Lord Jesus. Yes, thank you. Yes, it doesn't say your faith in God. It doesn't say your faith in the Holy Spirit. Paul is specific. It is your faith in Jesus Christ. Why does it work that way? Romans 10.9 is very specific. And this is what it means to have dedicated your life and in relationship with Jesus Christ. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, right? That's what it says. No. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was, was crucified, buried, raised again, then we will be what? We will be saved. Your faith is in that. Your faith is is in the work of the cross because, and Jesus said this to Thomas, he said, you know, you believe because you can see the scars, but blessed are the ones who cannot see and will not see, and yet they believe. Believe in what? Believe in the effectual work of Jesus Christ. So who has the authority over souls of men? Jesus Christ does. That sounds pretty godlike, doesn't it? Yeah. So let's, let's go a little bit further here. <clears throat> who has the authority over death and resurrection? Who would you say? Listen to you guys. You guys don't want to answer, do you? You're like, well, wait a second. That's kind of tricky because, you know, God the Father, I'm sure, is involved there somewhere. 
Jesus had something to do with something there. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. Very smart. So let's go with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11, turn there. Now, just hear me clearly. Hear me clearly. Each individual of the Godhead, each individual of the Trinity is involved to a certain aspect. But I want you to see the, the, the specificity to what Paul is saying here about who is involved with this. I'll back it up to 10. Again, Romans 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, in other words, you are a believer, so Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead... By the way, that almost says that God raised... No, 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 the grammar doesn't read that way. But you see the Trinity is right there. The Spirit of Him who raised... What? who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Scripture says that the same One who raised Jesus, right? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which Ephesians 1 speaks to this, is that when we believe in Him, he's, we are sealed with the Spirit as a guarantee, as a deposit for our inheritance. The Spirit is in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's hit this a little bit. When Jesus went and was tempted in the wilderness, who carried Him along? The Spirit and angels. When Jesus is raised from the dead, it's by whose power? You know, I always kind of thought, well, that's Jesus. No, it's specific. The Spirit raised Him. And the promise here, and you can go cross-reference later on, 1 Corinthians 15, that that same Spirit, the promise is that you will be raised like Christ was raised because of the same power. By the way, authority, divine power by the Spirit to raise you from the dead. These are big claims. These are big claims. That's authority. So here's a, here's a concept that I want you to grab a hold of. Complementary versus competitive. And this is what makes... Christianity unique and different from other religions, even historical religions. The concept of the Trinity is tricky because it works against every example we have in life. Let me prove my point. One for all and all for one. That's from what great novel? Yes. Well, get over that and try to pack it into this idea of the Trinity if you can. Because they're complementarian towards one another. They serve the same purpose. They share the same powers. Philippians 2 says that Christ, while being equal with God, did not consider it right to embrace that. I'm paraphrasing, to embrace that. So it's like He set His divine nature when He was here on earth. He set that apart. Why? Because He'd be cheating, folks. To go through this life and to experience temptation, but He's playing His God card all the time. That's not going through the temptation you and I suffer through, is it? He had to suffer as a man on the cross. He had to suffer that because what's the substitution for you and I if He doesn't suffer that same way? He could have, right? The, the big quote, why don't you call... If you are God, why don't you call... He set it aside. 
But he could have. He could have played his God card. So why did he do that? Because he was complementing the will of the Father. He served the same purpose as the Father. Does that make sense? They're working together. But they're distinct in their roles. They're distinct in their roles. So thinking about that, they serve the same purpose, but they have different roles. Now here's what sets us apart from other ideas. This is not polytheism. Right? How many of you are familiar with Shiva from the Hindu religion? And I could go on and on and on and on. Actually, I can't. That's the only name that's coming to my head right now. But thousands of gods. And by the way, their history is sometimes those gods are working what? Against each other. Same thing with Egyptian gods. That you had a God over death, you had a God over life, you had a God over fertility, you had a God over... You know, all those things, right? And sometimes those gods were what? According to their traditions, they were fighting. And we can just go to my favorite, uh, uh, you know, non-real God, but, you know, folklore God, Thor. And uh, he's fighting against our, you know, local guy, the Hulk in Ragnarok coming up, for you big Marvel fans. They're always fighting. But think about it, the Norse gods, the Greek gods, over and over and over, these are all separate entities. This is what separates Christianity, is that God is one. Now what that means specifically, we can't say for sure, other than knowing that when we're talking about the God of the Bible, they are all three same in purpose. They are all three same in purpose. And they share divine authority. They have different roles as to how they're playing this out and how they're affecting in your life and in my life. Let's look at the next point this morning. I think I'm running out of juice here. Roles and goals. Each part of the Godhead has their role. So here we go. Guess who? Let's, I'm going to give you a sample. You ready? Apartment complex scenario. Let's turn to Romans 5 before we get there. Just a few pages over from where we were prior. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 4 says this, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Now if you go up, just a little bit above verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just in five verses again, you've got all three persons of the Godhead working. You see that? So, they're all working towards our salvation. They're all working for our benefit. The issue is they have different roles, but they have the same goals. So let's have some fun with this. Let's just say that they're deciding to build an apartment complex down right by the uh, downtown off of Galindo. There's that big parcel of land that the mob must own because nothing ever gets built there. There must be bodies underneath there, and, and uh, somebody knows something about something. But they decide, we're going to build an apartment complex there with these other apartments, right? And so, let me ask you this question. Who's the contractor, do you think? Talking about roles. Oh, this is so funny. People are saying, you say this, say this. Who do you think would be the contractor in this corporation? Well, we've got all three now, so we, could, we can't miss. 
I would say the Father. Now, if you look in Ephesians 1, often you hear about God's plan, God's will. Let's just go to John 3.16, right? A lot of familiarity here, right? Let's, do, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His... that we might have through... Jesus Christ our Lord. Who does it sound like is the planner here? God. The Father. <laughs> I need to clarify. The Father. Now that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't do some kind of planning. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have some kind of plan. But Jesus always said, I'm here to do what? My Father's will. You see how this is working? So when it comes to roles, they're all working towards that plan, but the one who seemingly, as I look in Scripture, is setting forth that plan. For I have plans for you, Jeremiah 29, right? So God has plans. God had plans for the nation of Israel. God has plans for the church. So His role, not limited to, but we're just using it for the sake of this argument, He would be a contractor. By the way, you ever try to build a massive apartment complex without a contractor? It's probably not going to happen. We could... We can build a little house down in Mexico without a contract. Well, no, we have to have a contractor. So Scott's our contractor. Who's the builder? Oh, now see, you guys just went level 400 on me. Listen how fast that came out, how strong. Yes, Jesus is the builder, right? Why? Because He's the one that came. He's the one on site. He's the one making it happen. He's putting it together, right? You, you get that? So question, who's the manager? The Holy Spirit. Why? Because after the building's done, after that whole thing is done and, and, and you've moved in, now you need a what? You need a manager. So the Holy Spirit's always on site. Always helping. And His best interests are to help you, but always within the context of the corporation. Alright? So the Spirit. So you guys definitely nailed two out of three. It's a little fudging on the first one, but I think we're warming up. So, uh, what is the goal of each? To house people in the heavenly dwelling. Okay? To house people in the heavenly dwelling. Same corporation. Same corporation, right? Scott, well, who's, a, who's, a, who's a corporation out here that builds stuff? Sino. Sino. Oh, now... Yes, Sino. <laughs> so Sino builds stuff. So when you say the name Sino... Right? There's a lot of thoughts out there when you say the name Sino. And, uh, and I'm going to stop there because we're being recorded. <laughs> so, but he, Sino's not out there with the hammer and the nail. He's not, and Sino's not the one that's sitting in, in, you know, 4A, ready to handle your problems. But it's his corporation that people always refer to. Let's do it one more time, shall we? So, guess who? You guys are doing splendidly, by the way. Roles and goals. Each part of the Godhead has their role. Oh yes, your pastor just went there. The evil corporation. I'm going to do my mea culpa. Let's just say that, that, that Apple is a godly institution for the sake of this illustration. I'm, I'm changing my stripes, okay? Just for the sake of this moment. You ready? Here we go. So, number one, who is the MacBook Air?
See, isn't this fun in the spirit of Halloween? You're trying to guess, who, who are you? You're like, there's no way I'm touching that. I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. All right, I would say Jesus is the MacBook Air. Now, I, I flipped it because I knew if you, you'd get the pattern. I knew you'd get the pattern. All you people that, that do that with Scantrons, you, you took all your college tests with Scantrons and you just did a pattern and somehow you passed. Who's the OS? Oh. Oh, the Holy Spirit. It's the Father. Now, see, of course this is all just opinion. <laughs> this is just opinion because I made it up. And so, who's the iPhone? Now you're not talking anymore, are you? Okay, I'm really going to have to explain this one. So, operating system, nothing happens without the operating system. The operating system is the plan. It's the architect. Does that make sense? So, everything, the MacBook, the iPhone, the iPod, the iWatch, the whatever, the conglomerate, iTunes... It all has to work off of what? The OS. Right? Why is Jesus the MacBook Air? Because the whole point of your laptop is to make you functional. You are not able to do your work without this piece of machinery. You cannot um, manipulate and and produce fruit. (laughs) You see what I just did there? Apple? Fruit? You cannot produce fruit... You can't buy this stuff, folks. (laughs) You cannot produce fruit without functionality. So Jesus serves in that capacity to to really do the stuff you need to do. You've got to abide. Now, why did I say... Now, you could... Obviously, you could argue, you know, the Spirit, okay? But just follow me. Why did I say iPhone is the Spirit? Because when you're on your phone, you're communicating, Right? So the Spirit helps us communicate. Now you're saying, Pastor, that was just horrible. (laughs) So let me take you through something. I set you up on purpose to say that. What's the goal of each? To sucker people into overpriced shiny objects. (laughs) That's the point. See, you thought I changed my ways. I didn't. Uh, It's to design the... Here's the mission statement, actually. It's It's a little redacted, but this is the mission statement of Apple. To design the best personal computer, music, and phone in the world. What do you think God's mission statement is for you? It is to perfect you into holiness. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So let's let's really have some fun here. Okay? So those those were my illustrations. Now you guys get to do the the whole guess you with, with the Trinity. All right, who has a specific will planned out for your life? father right well done you're one for one who works in your life with special giftedness for the church oh oh can anybody quote some scripture first corinthians 14 that's why i get paid (laughs) yes the holy spirit who paid for your eternal life oh that's just a sunday school answer if ever i heard one but you're right, Jesus, right? And you can quote scripture for this, right? What would that be? Fantastic. And half of what we've read this morning, right? Are you seeing the roles? All the same goal, different roles. And when we finish, you're, you'll hear why that's so cool. Who frees you from sin? 
Oh, we just went to level 400, didn't we? Jesus. You'd never be free from sin unless God changed the plan. And you'd never know Jesus unless the Spirit reveals Him to you. So, sorry. I was cheating a little bit. It was a trick question. Now, here's where we really have fun. Who do you pray to? Why do you pray to the Father? Where did Jesus tell us to? My, my life group's stepping up on this one. Jessica, why, where did Jesus tell us to do that? In the Lord's what? Lord's Prayer. Where he says specifically, pray like this. And who does he tell you to pray for? Father, right? And then I asked my life group if they know who Father Weegis is. Do you guys know Father Weegis? Yeah. This is our storytelling acumen. Some of you are like, please let me in on who Father... Just listen to evangelicals pray. Austin, Leiden, next time you hear someone praying in a group, which will be next week, our prayer time, you guys show up, and you're going to hear people say this. Father, we just appreciate who you are. (laughs) Father, we just thank you. Father, we just declare in your name. I'm still baffled who this Father Weegis guy is, but who do we pray to? So we start with the Father. How's Jesus factor into prayers? Is it illegal to pray to Jesus? Okay, let's just get that straight. <laughs> We're not into legalism. But, but here's the magic and why I'm doing this, is that to know how all three are working in your prayer life is pretty cool. It's actually inspiring. And it makes us be a little bit more attentive to every part of who God is. And that's the point today. So let me explain this. We pray to the Father. We do so in whose name? In Jesus' name, because that's what we're instructed to do. That in the name of Jesus, we ask. And and Jesus said what? Whatever you ask in my name, it will be what? It will be given to you. Now, some of you are like, with the help by the Spirit, where's that? Does anybody know the passage? Romans 8, when we do not know what to pray for or how to pray, what does the Spirit do for us? He intercedes. Did you ever think about prayer this way? That we pray to the Father because He's the architect, He's the planner, right? He has this will for our life. But we pray in Jesus' name and we ask in Jesus' name because we're instructed to. And when we don't really know how to pray for something, the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Isn't that that incredible? How God reveals Himself in three distinct ways. I hope you're inspired because that's the point this morning. Who put your name in the book of life? Advanced question. Let's see who's the most advanced Christian in the room. You get my point? God. God. The Father made the plan for you to be in the book of life. The Father will act as that judge that is saying, why should you be in heaven? Jesus is the one that 
allowed your name to be written in that book of life because of his personal sacrifice. And he will say through his blood, Father, I paid for his price. Let him in. And the Holy Spirit will be the one that, that garners your life and helps you and encourages you and revealed to you at some point in time who Jesus truly is so that your name is in the book of life. That's what this is all about, my friends. That's what it's all about. So when you ask, why is my name in the book of life? One answer, God. But how unique and beautiful the way He shows up in three different efforts and roles that you might see Him, experience Him, and abide in Him. Let me close in prayer today. This morning, as I'm closing, I, I do want to emphasize a couple things. Make sure that you grab um, these flyers on Project Christmas Child. Um, our life group is not meeting tomorrow because of a hedonistic celebration. Everybody's bunkering down. Um, but we really do have some things Saturday to get cleaned up. You're going to see, you're already seeing some changes around here. And um, the building gets finished this week on the outside. Um, we have some other things that we're doing just to get ready for Jubilee. We're very excited. I implore you. We talked about plus one. A young man showed up right after we finished basketball. Again, 12, 13 guys playing basketball this past Wednesday. This young man shows up. He's from the neighborhood. And I have to tell him, like the jerk that I am, I have to say, Bro, you showed up at exactly the one time you cannot play basketball here. We're about to start youth group, and so um, kind of select for them. But we want you to be here. We want you to come enjoy the court. As a matter of fact, if you get here on Wednesdays, starting at 4.30, there's a bunch of guys here playing. We'd love to have you. And so he's looking at me, and I said, are you from the neighborhood? He says, yeah. And, and then he says, um, can I have your phone number? I said, yeah, 1-800-JESUS. Actually, I did say that. Brad heard me say it. Um, but no, I gave him my number, and then guess what I took off my wrist and handed to him? Right? We're talking about reaching out to our community. We have given you a big, fat softball on the 12th, but you have to care enough to do something about it. You have to bring people. All Saturday is about is outreach to our community to let them know what's happening here. And so bring five, six, eight people. Invite them. We're investing a lot of money in this event to really enjoy and really share with the community we've been here 50 years. Friday night is for us. Sunday morning will be fantastic for us. So don't miss those things. But we really, let's see what we can do. Let's see what might happen. We built a, a bunch of asphalt and we laid it flat and we threw up some nets. And already we've got somewhere around 13 people that we've engaged with just because of that. Imagine, imagine what can happen. So I really encourage you, get ramped up. I'm not here next Sunday. I'm speaking um, down south at my former church. On the very day I started here 10 years ago. Kind of weird, kind of weird. But I'm speaking on missions and I'm excited about it. Bob Huffman will be speaking next week. And so we're excited about that. And then, um, and then we're into Jubilee. So I really don't have another Sunday with you before. That's why I'm taking the time now to say this. 
I'm excited about where we're going to go and what God's going to do through all of this. And the celebration, it is a celebration of 50 years of being in this community. So let's bring the community here and see what God does. Um, if you've brought your offerings today, your gifts, that box is on the left-hand side as you exit. Thank you. We see that as part of worship. And in order to do what we do, um, it is because of God's people being faithful in this act of worship. So thank you so much for that. All right, let me close in prayer. Lord, we grant to you our praise and our effectual love. We've sung today about placing ourselves under your will, trusting you. And Father, as one of my friends here at CBC said last week, how great is it that we can only know a portion of you. But that portion, Father God, how tremendous it is. Especially when we see it in action. We see the results of it. Even though we can't touch you, even though we can't see you physically, we see the results and they're undeniable. Thank you for revealing yourself and taking such a concentrated look and effort into our lives. To you be the glory, Father. Amen. Amen.